This show is for educational purpose and should not be taken as medical advice. Welcome to Let's Talk About Medical Cannabis with Dr. O, a clinical pharmacist certified in medical cannabis. Every week, you'll learn about alternative ways to improve your health and well-being using the healing power of botanicals such as cannabinoids. Here's your host, Lola Ahanba. Welcome to episode 6 of our Let's Talk About Medical Weed with Dr. O. My name is Lola Ahamba. I'm a clinical pharmacist certified in medical cannabis. On today's episode, we will be looking into the second part of our series, Role of Cannabinoid in Mental Health. We'll be looking at the concluding part. Allow me to say thank you to those of you that already subscribed to the show. Thank you so much. If you are yet to subscribe to the show, we really need your support. Please subscribe to the show. This show is for educational purpose only and should not be taken as a medical advice. The show is for you if you are looking for alternative means to manage your health and well-being. Is for you if you are a young professional and you are looking for means of replenishing lost energy during your day-to-day activities. And finally, is for the healthcare professional looking for evidence-based data to counsel their patient on the cannabis and the cannabinoid product. Again, thanks for joining me on today's show. Today is the second part of our series, Role of Cannabinoid in Mental Health. On our last episode, episode five, we talked about mental health, what types of mental health is available, uh, the signs and symptoms of uh, mental health. We looked into the non-pharmacological treatment like uh, talk therapy. We look into diet and nutrition we also look into the vitamins and minerals, how those are able to affect our mental health and what we can do to replenish our diet and replenish the vitamins and minerals lacking in our food. And uh, finally, we look into the hormonal changes going on in our day-to-day life, hormonal changes in our body and what we can do to replace the hormones that is being lost due to life stressors or anything like that. We talked about other means of hormonal therapy that is not a hormone replacement. Uh, We talked about using diet and also uh, herbal medicine, how they are being used instead of the hormone replacement therapy for some individuals that do not want to go through the route of the hormone replacement therapy. And finally, we talked about the neurotransmitters like uh, serotonin, norepinephrine, how they relate to mental health and what can be done in, to replenish uh, these uh, chemicals in our brain. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to episode five, we highly recommend that that should be listened to for because this is the, the concluding part of the episode five. Again, thank you so much for joining me. So on today, we will be looking into the pharmacological means of managing mental health force. When we say pharmacological therapy, what are we actually talking about? 
we are talking about the medication, the traditional medication that you go to your pharmacy to get for the management of mental health. As I mentioned earlier, serotonin is one of the main neurotransmitters targeted in most of the conditions we mentioned earlier, like OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, panic disorder, anxiety, depression. One in the beginning, when the physician, when they want to start managing this disorder, sometimes they start from the lower pharmaceuticals, like serotonin-based medication. One of the most common antidepressants is the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. This is what we call our SSRI. For a layman term, you might have heard of a Zoloft or Lexapro. These two agents, they belong to that class of the SSRI antidepressive medication. Another class of medication that is often used in the management of mental health is the what we call a tricyclic uh, antidepressant. The common one that comes to mind is the amitriptyline or Elovil. Those are the tricyclic antidepressants. A lot of the medication, the traditional pharmaceuticals that is used in the management of these mental health uh, conditions tends to have a side effect that is unbearable to a lot of patients, especially the elderly population. They tends to be, the side effect tends to be a little bit unbearable sometimes. And when people are going through this side effect, it can lead to what we call non-compliance in their medication. Basically, what that means is that if I'm going through side effect from my medication that is really disturbing what I'm doing in my life, this person can decide to not take their medication as they were supposed to. So... We're looking at a situation here whereby we, the medication that an individual is supposed to take to help them to get better, because of the bad side effect they are getting from it, they are not taking this medication. So if an individual is not taking the medication to help them get better, how are they going to get better? That's why we need to start looking into alternative ways to help people get and stay well and with less side effects. Common side effect that is generally seen in all these medications like SSRI or the, the tricyclic antidepressants like Elavil or Emitriptylines are what we call anticholinergic effects. What does anticholinergic effect mean? Basically, what it means is something like dry mouth. People can have blood vision. People can have constipation. They can go to uh, urinary retention. You go to the bathroom. You are not able to empty your bladder fully. There can be a memory impairment or memory loss. And for some people, they can even have a delirium. 
So when we mentioned all this side effects like a blood vision, drama, urinary retention, memory impairment, this can be very, very problematic in the elderly population that are already having some of these kind of uh, signs due to aging and all that. So if you're already having issue with your vision or memory issues, then when you take another medication that is also adding to it, this can be very dangerous in those population. Another side effect that is common with the agent, the medication that we use in treating mental health like uh, depression and uh, mental health like depression is uh, what we call uh, autostatic hypotension, hypotension with an O. When you say hypotension, that means the, uh, the blood pressure drops. That's what hypotension means. There's drop in blood pressure. But when you say autostatic hypotension, that means when you stand up from whether sitting position, your blood pressure suddenly drops and that causes a syncope or fainting spell. The other part of when you talk about hypotension, we are not talking about hypertension. Hypertension is increase in blood pressure, but hypertension is drop in the blood pressure. And when this happens, people can have fainting spell. There can be cardiac related issues such as a heart block, especially in people with a history of cardiovascular disease or heart disease. A lot of the time, the people that really need this medication are people that are already going through one form or the other of those disorder population that might need the treatment are the one going through this maybe cardiac issue already or issue with their blood pressure so when the medication is worsening the side effect we might have to reconsider what agent to give uh, this population Another reason why people uh, might not be compliant, might not want to take this uh, class of medication is weight gain. A lot of the medication that we use in the management of mental health can have a weight gain as their side effect. And some might even have a sexual dysfunction as part of their side effect with these drugs. Patients find it difficult to put away with that kind of, of side effects so they can decide to not take their medication. So we already discussed how important it is to treat and manage your mental health. So when people are not taking their medication, they are not compliant due to side effects. What can we do to help? In what way can uh, cannabinoid cannabis uh, therapy probably have uh, help people or the potential benefit that might be uh, be seen in using cannabinoid product? So in the beginning of this series, we mentioned that most of this condition, the mental health condition, most of the condition under this umbrella have similar signs and symptoms. So there's similar signs and symptoms, but the degree of expression sometimes varies with, with this disorder. Studies using cannabinoid in targeting mental health is relatively new. 
due to limited clinical studies anecdotal evidence backs up its effectiveness as well so basically what that means is that people that are using cannabis or cannabinoid product are attesting to the fact that it's helping them manage their symptoms I mean, a lot of people exposed to cannabis. Cannabis have been around for generations. It's not a new plant or botanical to us. It's been around for generations and it's been used for various ailments for generations. So because there is very little clinical studies done due to uh, prohibition, most of the evidence that we have are from word of mouth from people that are using it. Scientists are, are discovering that cannabinoids works with our body's endocannabinoid system to help stabilize the mood. Uh, in our previous episode three, we talk in details about the endocannabinoid system. Endocannabinoid system, endo means inside, cannabinoid means like plant cannabis. Cannabinoids are the chemicals that is made from the cannabis plant. So when we have endocannabinoid, it means that is the traditional cannabinoid product that is produced by our body itself. And the system that produces that endocannabinoid is endocannabinoid system. I call it the supercomputer of our body. It controls everything. It controls our balance, homeostasis. That's what the endocannabinoid system does. And the two agents that is produced is the 2-AG, which is similar to CBD, and the, the anandamide. Anandamide is similar to THC in characteristics. So if you haven't checked out our episode 3, you need to go and check that one. Now we talked in detail about endocannabinoid system, what it does and things like that. Really, the series is, is like goes into each other. You have to listen to one for you to be able to grasp the next one. So if you haven't listened to those previous episodes, please do so. Cannabis and cannabinoid effects on stress and anxiety is well documented with many studies showing that it decreases stress and anxiety. We need to be cautious though when we are talking about cannabis when it comes to mental health and stress because cannabis have a, what we call biphasic nature. What biphasic means is that low dose of a product can produce a certain effect while the high dose of that same product will produce a, a different effect. For example, low-dose THC is said to reduce anxiety, while high-dose THC can worsen anxiety and uh, mental health-related symptoms. That's the psychoactive part of the THC. So basically, for THC, increased high-dose THC can worsen psychoactive symptoms, for, especially in mental health population. So if somebody is going to take any product with THC in it, it's better to make it very, very little uh, THC. 
A lot of people that have used cannabis and the cannabinoid product uh, attest to the fact that it helps them with their depressive episode and helps them to have a sense of calmness to their day-to-day life. Whenever we encounter a scary or fear-evoking situation, our first line of action will be either to fight or to run for our dear lives. This is called fight or flight uh, mechanism. The brain, our brain control what we call sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. This system is what is uh, responsible for us when we are in a situation is either we run for our dear life or we stay there and face the consequence of that. It's really what I call our survival mode. There's no need to be showboarding when you are in a situation of, uh, of intense fear. You either run for your dear life or you will, you will face the, the, whatever this fear can be. I tell my kids every day, either fight or run, live to fight uh, another day. So there's no point in you going to the playing ground and somebody is trying to fight you. Just say, yeah, okay, fine, you win. You can have it. It's fine. Go home. Come home. Either fight and run leaves to fight another day. So why did I bring that into this discussion? CBD is said to work on the GABA receptor. The GABA receptor, when activated, directs the brain to release uh, chemicals that helps us in fear-evoking situations to experience sense of calmness. So basically what he's saying is that our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, when we are in stressful situation or fear-evoking situation, CBD works on the GABA receptor and that helps us to keep calm, even though we are going through a fearful situation. Another example we can look at in that situation of a GABA receptor is for those that have used a gabapentin or neurontin for management of neuropathic pain or any form of neuralgia like shingles or diabetic uh, peripheral uh, neuralgia. The same mechanism that CBD uses to help us in Keeping calm, that's the same GABA receptor that is used in drugs like neurontin and gabapentin. Basically, what happens in situations like uh, diabetic neuropathy or shingles is that these are hyperactive nerves that is causing the pain. So what the medication like gabapentin does is calm the nerves that is causing the hyperactivities. And this is how it exerts a mechanism in situations like shingles or peripheral or diabetic neuropathy. This same mechanism is what is, uh, CBD is said to also use to help people that have anxiety, OCD, PTSD, depression, to mention just a few, to help them to deal with stress and anxiety. But unlike uh, CBD, when you look at uh, agents like gabapentin or neurontin, CBD has less side effect. There's no drug that does not have side effect. 
but CVD has less side effects when you compare them to the pharmaceutical agents like Neurontin that is trying to do the same thing. But when it, we talk about CBD, we have to be very careful, especially in the populations that have uh, either history of liver disease or liver injury because uh, CBD is metabolized in the liver and there is additive nature of cannabis and cannabinoid. So for people with liver disease or liver injury, they have to be very careful in what product they choose. The good news is that there are other routes of administration other than edibles that people can choose from, like the sublingual. That means you put it under your tongue, you put the product under your tongue, or like patches. All these uh, patches does not pass through the liver. Those do what we call first pass metabolism. It does not pass through the liver. So it doesn't mean that if you have a liver disease or liver injury, then you cannot use your CBD. That's not true. There are other routes of administration that is available out there. That's why education and a podcast like this is very important. And that is part of the reason why we started this podcast in the first instance. According to scientific studies, individuals suffering from depression are said to have lower endocannabinoid in them. Endocannabinoid, like I mentioned earlier, are the cannabinoid produced in our body, the anandamide and the 2-AG. The anandamide is, uh, is similar to THC and the 2-AG is similar to CBD. And so if a patient suffering from depression is said to have low endocannabinoids uh, in their body, that's the cannabinoid that is produced in our body, then it will be it will make sense to say if they have lower uh, level of endocannabinoid, then we can supplement it with the plant-based cannabinoid like the CBD and sometimes maybe the THC. So the way I look at it is just like our vitamin, our over-the-counter vitamins we buy. It's not like we don't eat or we don't have nutrients or vitamins from our daily food. But a lot of the times we don't have a balanced diet. Some of us just pick whatever we eat and keep going because of work. So in this situation, what do we do? We pick over the counter supplement to help us get the necessary nutrients that we need. It's similar to that. So if people have less endocannabinoids in their body, it will make sense to introduce other form of cannabinoid to help balance what is missing. I mean, when I was a young, as a teenager, I never care about what I eat. My family, they used to look at me and like, you just eat anything. I don't care what I eat. But as I grow older, things change. I began to notice that maybe sometimes my body, my joints are hurting and all that stuff. So especially after I had my kids, so I started using daily multivitamin, one a day women. Every time I use my vitamins, I feel fine. Sometimes life's happen and I will forget to use it. If I forget like one or two days, that's fine. But as I get to like say a week, then I start feeling the effect. 
of me not using it. As soon as I start feeling the effect, I know what's going on. As soon as I pick it up and use it again, I start feeling normal. So the same scenario can be applied here. Especially as we grow older, the endocannabinoid that is produced in our body might not be enough. Or even the whole endocannabinoid system might not work as effective as it used to. I mean, it's part of aging. So in that situation, we supplement all these other products when we are deficient in them. Why can't we supplement our endocannabinoids? That if when it's deficient, that's my uh my question really. So supplemental plant cannabinoid like CBD, THC, CBG, just to mention a few, might be a, a smart alternative that we need to begin to look into and do a lot of more research to see if this is a good way to go in the future. According to an article published in the PubMed, CBD is said to have potential therapeutic effects on a wide range of neuropsychiatric disorder. CBD is said to stop brain damage associated with neurodegenerative disorder. And CBD is also said to have positive effect in halting psychotic anxiety or depressive-like behavior. It's also said to have neurogenesis. Neurogenesis is a regeneration of the brain cells. I mean, if your brain is able to regenerate itself, that would eventually help with uh, memory impairment, especially in uh, elderly population. And it's also been shown to have a neuroprotective ability. So it's not just regenerating the the brain cell. It also has the potential to protect the brain. The mechanism that cannabinoid is using or uses to carry out its functions are still not fully clear due to less clinical studies, but it's said to involve multiple targets and receptors. So basically, it's using different targets because cannabis and cannabinoid, they don't just work in one way. They work in a retrograde fashion like this. It can go forward and talk to the brain. Then it can also come backward and talk to our body. This is not, this is totally different from other nervous system or like the peripheral nervous system. They work in a straight fashion, but cannabinoid, endocannabinoid system is said to work in a retrograde fashion. So a lot of studies, a lot of clinical trials needs to be done for us to be able to grasp the effect of cannabis and the cannabinoid system. Thank you so much for today's show. This is the end of today's show. I'd like to say thank you for you guys hanging out with me again today. If you have not subscribed to the show, like I always say, please do so. And if you are already subscribed, we'd like to say thank you so much for more information about cannabis, cannabinoid, some products out there. You can visit us on the web at www wci-health.com and you can also follow us on social thank you so much have a great day and until next time always remember health is equals to wealth
Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform. Support the show by becoming a patron and donating on our Patreon page or on our website. For more information, visit our website at www.wci-health.com. Until next time, health equals wealth.